0: Everyone. Welcome to the very next episode of the Remedy with Tobecito. We are so happy that you have decided to be with us today, wherever you are, whether you're on a walk or in the car or um, doing laundry with your AirPods in, we appreciate you listening. Um, especially grateful for the sponsor of today's show, uh, Elise Bridges, who lives in Austin, Texas. Um, she made a very generous donation. Thank you, Elise. I love your name. I know. It's my wife's name. I know. (laughs) Uh, She made a very generous to um, The Remedy, and we're always so grateful for everyone who uh, contributes. If you are interested in being a sponsor, we need them. Uh, And it's super easy. All you have to do is go to Tovisito.com and click on The Remedy and click on make a contribution. Every show costs about $200, um, but we have people who give less, and we have people who give more, and it really doesn't matter. We're just grateful. So um, it's very exciting that Elise is our uh, sponsor from Austin because- Did you know she's my friend? uh She was at my house for coffee this week. Uh-oh! So it's very cool. Oh, my gosh.
1: That's so awesome. <laughs> How small is that world? Wow. Well,
0: you. She had amazing. no idea I was going to be that's here. That's amazing. I love that. Well, I have in the studio today one of my dear, dear, dear friends, Taylor. I call her Tay-Tay. Um, does anybody else call you Tay-Tay? No, and I like it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I love Taylor. I love Dave, her husband. I love her four children. It's just so beautiful, but Taylor has her own podcast, and so today what you're going to be listening to is a recording that we did for her podcast, so Taylor actually asked me questions, um, which was different for me because I'm usually the one on the other side of the microphone, but I loved it, um, and so Taylor... Will you tell everyone a little bit about you, a little bit about what you do, and all about your podcast, where they can find you, how they can listen to you, how they can be blessed by your wisdom and your humor and, uh, and your chaos which chaos. That's what my humor
1: <laughs> is, is my chaos. Uh-huh. Keeping it real over at the Nichols' house. I love it.
0: <laughs> the Nichols family, let me tell you. I my like the family, chaos too. My family loves the Nichols. That's why my children... Love your home so much is because chaos is welcome. Oh, it's a lot of a lot of chaos, and we have good dance parties yeah. when your
1: kids come. So, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having the conversation with me today. Oh, what I a loved gift. it! I am just forever learning from you, and it's just such a treasure to hear you talk about um, choices that you've made in your life that have led you to being who you are. So, thank you for sharing those today. Um, I'm Taylor Nichols. I live in Austin, Texas, with four kiddos and my husband of almost sixteen years. Dave, um, we live kind of, he is so awesome. Um, we live in Hill Country and I am. Oh yeah.
0: Somebody asked me today, where, what part of Austin do you live? And I was like,
1: I don't know. We're like, um, (laughs) between Bee Cave and Westlake, um, kind of near like the Hill Country Galleria. Okay. And yeah, my husband and I co-own an engineering firm in Austin. Um, I am the furthest thing from an engineer, but I'm a people people. And so um, I have, I'm the company culture curator there. Don't have a desk, but go in as needed. And then um, my love project is being a mama and a wife and um, a podcaster, which um, is Something that we kind of started like close to the same time. I, was, I think you were a little before me, but um, I have a podcast called Speak Life with Taylor Nichols, where we talk about the good, the bad, and the whole just journey of life. So real people, real stories, real life. Um, kind of that journey from A to Z, and what what does it look like when your life doesn't turn out quite thought you quite how you thought it was going to turn out? Mm-hmm. Um, what are those micro moment, moments that shift and, and give you the opportunity to either shape you? Or to define you, and what it, what does that
0: process look like? And you're here for, uh, you're here this weekend for IF Gathering. Yeah. And uh, a Camp Well lunch reunion. reunion, which I'm super excited about. That's how you and I met yes. with Camp Well. And if you don't know what Camp Well is, you should look it up because it's, I mean, I feel like the group that we have and the closeness we share is so special. And it was just, Random. Yeah.
1: Like, I think it was an intimacy of people ready to be intimate, vulnerable, and raw with one another. Mm-hmm. And so it allowed this depth to happen so organically and so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um And it's like once you have, like, had that, you don't want to go back from mm-hmm. that. And so I think that's one of the beautiful treasures of the friendships that have come from that and what yeah. Jen, our friend Jen, has Cultivated helped cultivate. Mm-hmm.
0: How many years ago was that? Four. Yeah. right i um, mean and if you think about how we've all like so before years of september i think still stuck together and uh-huh. still love each other and text each other and pray for each other it's it's pretty spectacular it's pretty spectacular. It's a really beautiful community okay well coming up next is uh, Taylor's interview with me it's good y'all <laughs> love you tay thank you and thank you to all your listen- or my listeners have an amazing day
1: Hello, Tay-Tay! I can't believe this is really happening.
0: <laughs> We've only talked about it for a year? Yeah. Maybe longer? I think it's going to be really good
1: because I haven't been able to talk for three days. Normally when that happens, it means something really great is about <laughs> to happen. I'm trying to get sidetracked from, so.
0: it's a lot of pressure, Tay-Tay. Yeah.
1: No, I'm, I'm letting it go.
0: Um, wait, how long have you had your podcast? A year in March. Oh. Mm-hmm. And how, how often do you put out episodes?
1: We are doing seasons and I'm really just doing that around my life as a mama right now. Mm-hmm. So we've been figuring that out. Um, I'm starting season three in the next couple of weeks here once we're recording this right now. So yeah. But Why did you lose your voice? Um, either yelling at my kids basketball <laughs> game or I think mold allergies. Oh. But hopefully it sounds really you know good and sexy and Cool.
0: Kind of does. You, the, you get this great idea about there was a guy in this office
1: who just said you had a great radio voice, and I'm like, whoever's listening yeah. and needs me to do a radio show, I'm ready.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, T, T, thank you so much for being on. Um, I it makes me teary just thinking about having the opportunity to talk with you, and we could literally have three hours worth of conversation about your life. Um, but I our lives, our lives to go about there. life in general. Um, but I want to start by just saying, when I met you, um, my husband noticed something really cool about me talking about you, and he said, it's the fastest and deepest I've ever seen you trust somebody. And That's um, a
0: nice thing for sweet Dave to I say. I know. Love me, love me some days. He's some good stuff. <laughs> he's some good stuff.
1: But um, as I've kind of deduced that comment and pulled that back, I think it is because of how much life you've walked through. And the transparency that you have walked through that life with, mm-hmm. um, thank you. You have a lot of you have a lot of choices that you have made along your journey, and transparency that's come with that, and that is trustworthy to me. That means um, to me that's a life well lived when you're setting in the tension of grief and joy at the same time and figuring out what does it look like today? And so um, I don't want to get too thick in the weeds for your listeners or my listeners about your life because I want them to go back, for those who haven't read your book, I want them to go back and read your book because you do an incredible job of sharing all of the details of your story. But I want to take kind of a hundred foot view of who who Tova thought she was going to be and some of the exits that have come that you have been forced to take along that journey. And then we're going to get to talking a little bit about some of those micro choices in that and who you are today.
0: Okay. Um, I'm, I'll take your lead. Kay. Okay.
1: So give me a hundred foot view of just a snapshot of your life,
0: your story. Um, you up in Dallas. Yep. I was, I, I was born in Albuquerque. I moved to Dallas when I was six. I was born into a Mormon family. I'm number two of four kids. Um, our Our life growing up at times was fabulous and at times was not fabulous um, uh, you know I'm very open in my book about um about the hard parts about my family um and that was really hard on some of my family members <laughs> just you know a lot of people don't want to think about the truth and you know, it's just better, like, the past is in the past. And I, I don't dwell on it. I'm not angry about it. I forgive all the players um, in my family of origin. But there were a lot of difficult things about my family growing up. My parents fought a ton. Um, my mom was physically abusive to us as children. Um, there was a lot of shame. Uh, there was a lot, a lot of religious shame um, we had to be perfect on the outside, no matter what it looked like behind the front door. That was really stressful so um and then there were, I had to be perfect. I mean I re- there was a lot of pressure to be perfect and not make any mistakes and make good grades and not you know do everything perfect and, and if we weren't perfect, there were, there were big price tags um, and so it it was not easy it was not easy growing up in my home. You know, a lot of people had great childhoods. The greatest thing about my childhood was my siblings. Uh, we were, were, and always have been, and still are. I mean, I talked to my brother and sister today and we love each other so deeply that there was a, an amazing bond with us because of all of the hard. Um, and that was an amazing gift and it's stood the test of time. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we share that in our stories, our, our yes. religious shame, um, and our siblings, yeah, big, bigger the,
1: families, the and... bigger family. I'm one of six, mm-hmm. just that deep, deep love for one another. Um, but also the the coming together over like things that didn't settle well with you in your soul yeah. around the expectations for performance or, um, and I think, you know, I, I don't know, as I look at my childhood and as I'm a parent now and, learn more and more grace for my parents and knowing that they were doing the very best that they could Absolutely. do. It, it doesn't negate the pain or the hard, right. but it also, um, it also gives me understanding for that they were trying to do better than they had. Yeah. And you have been such an example for that of like this, this, um, grace that you embody about things that you don't agree with still. And I see you as that as a mom. I mean, you are the furthest thing from religious shame or emotional abuse to your kids. You parent with a trust in something so much greater and an open hand, but a really, really, really loving heart. Thank and you, that's an inspiration to me. And I, I'd i love for us to talk a little bit more about what that journey has looked like of like learning to walk out of hard and make choices to take that, learn something and do something different
0: mm-hmm. um, in your adult life and in your life as a mom? Well, I don't think it's easy. Um, you know, statistic statistics would show that I, uh, or say that I would follow the same patterns and that the home that I would create would look a lot like the home that I grew up in. And I, as a, as a child, I had this keen awareness like I would watch my family I would watch my parents fight I would watch my mom be abusive and there was something inside of me that I mean I would I remember the way that I looked at her I remember the way that I felt and I remember thinking I will never be like you Mm -hmm. I will never do this to my children and And, you know, the older you get, the more you learn. And statistics scared me because I was like, oh, God, you know, like research says that I'm going to turn around and be the same kind of mom to my children. Like, okay, so how do I not do that? And when (coughs) I was in high school, I would go see my high school counselor and, and talk to him about my home. And because there, it was just not. I just couldn't believe it, that 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 like, parents would do that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I just had a hard uh, time. And then when I was in college, I, I, you, when the college I went to Brigham Young University, and they had free counseling. I went to counseling all through college on my own. I mean, and I just knew I needed help, help. and I needed tools. And, uh, and I had a resolve about me and all of my siblings do all four of us. I mean, we may be all kinds of messed up in other ways, but let me tell you something. We have parenting down. Like my sisters are phenomenal mothers and my brother is a phenomenal dad. And it's like, we all looked at this crazy and thought that that's not going to be, that will not be me and my kids and I giggle all the time like I think about the rules I mean my parents had the dumbest rules like I'm all about discipline and principles and values and all of that but my parents had like dumb rules my mom was real controlling and it was because her emotional life was so out of control that the more she controlled or you know, controls a facade. But the more she felt like she controlled, anyway, but it's a damn good facade. Sometimes, <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> gosh, this yeah. feels really good today. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I just learned early on as a parent that, like, and and my therapist was a big part of me learning. You know, she would say to me over and over and over again, "Toba, your children have a God, and it's not you." And like, you love them, you teach them, you, you pray for them, you parent them. Of course, you discipline them, but they're not mine to control. And you know what, Tay-Tay, I, I, your listeners, a lot of my listeners know th- that uh, that I've lost children. Your listeners don't know that, but I've, I've lost children. I had a stillborn, a miscarriage, and then I buried two children that both lived eight months, a girl and a boy. And I lost all control in that. You know, I, I learned early on I was not in charge. And, and so it just kind of... And I had such a keen awareness, such an awareness for how blessed I was to be a mom. <coughs> and, and it was a privilege that I learned early on through... A lot of loss, and so when you lose, like you know, if you lose something and then you find it, you get a another chance to have another one. Uh, You know, I adopted three kids five years after we lost our last child, and so it's like I I have another chance to to at being a mom. I got another shot at being a mom, and so I think it was just kind of a Perfect uh, recipe for healing <coughs> from those wounds. And I love my mom. I love my, my mom's passed away. She died in 2003. We made such peace with each other before she died. I forgive my mom. I forgive my dad. I love both of them. You know, they did the best they could with what they had, and I really believe that. And you know, I don't think they woke up and said, "Okay, I think I'm going to beat the hell out of Toba today and make her feel miserable." And Shame the hell out of her and, you know, b- make sure that she goes to counseling for a solid two decades <laughs> before she figures it out. Not two months. <laughs> not two years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I don't think any parent thinks like that. But damn, if I don't need my, you know, I've got to. I've got a therapy fund for my kids because Lord only knows what I'm doing to them. We say that all the time. Daddy,
1: we're not going to be able to pay for your college, but we promise you we're going to help pay for your counseling. If you need to go to
0: the Meadows for a month, I yeah, got you, baby. We've got this.
1: Daddy and I have been saving since you were in the womb. Oh, man, there's so much wisdom to that. But, you know, T, to, to, um, I want to come back. I want to talk about all your babies. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is so inspirational, and I I tear up just thinking about this, I have sat with you sharing your story. I have read your story. I've listened to you, share your story. I have talked with you about your story. And it is still so insanely humbling to me um, to just hold space for what your story is. But beyond that, beyond the wowness and the, oh my gosh, and the did that really happen? Of your story, um, what has come out of it is such a beautiful and kind and caring and intentional soul.
0: Hey, Tay, you're gonna make me cry. As, and as your friend, getting to set with that
1: teaches me. But as you're talking about your parents, I mean, I think when we look around all the time, no parent, like you said, I mean. My husband has a very broken relationship with his mom and a lot of times when we're talking about the hurt of that I will say to him I am 1 billion percent sure that your mom didn't wake up and decide you know what I'm just going to I'm just going to hurt him. I'm just going to say things that will cause pain or I'm going to decide to pull love away or whatever the thing that you're feeling was not something that she woke up and decided to do one day it's all these tiny micro decisions that have led to this brokenness and in, in, in our lives right where we step back and we're like that pain is too much yeah and as we kind of get into your story your story has a lot of pain um like you said you've lost four of your children you now have three of the most incredible cool <laughs> just Wicked cool kids. They are wicked cool. Oh, love them.
0: <laughs> they love you. Oh, goodness. Um,
1: but your your ability to let them be as wicked cool as they are comes because you've been willing to set in the pain and the loss and let that teach you and change you and not let it make you bitter and hard. Um, your ability to be the incredible parent you are, and I'm not saying you're a perfect parent, but you are a parent who really can own your, you can own your shit and you yep. can say, man, I jacked that up. Yep. We're going to try again tomorrow yep. and you can walk in freedom <laughs> and trying again tomorrow instead of trying to cover up or explain away or all the things you can just say like mm, blew it. Then we're going to try differently today. Yep. <clears throat> to me, a lot of those decisions that you make today have come from micro decisions throughout your life. And I would like to go back. Um, you live in Dallas Got married in 2000, no, 1999. 1999. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you think the world's going to end right after you got married? <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a big deal, you know. That's <laughs> why we did it. <laughs> uh, got pregnant. Um, lost your first baby through stillborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then had a miscarriage in between that and Charlie. Yeah. Had a little boy named Charlie who was born on January 9th, yep. yeah Yeah, right? good job, um, and at four months old, you found out that he wasn't growing. That's right. And um, I literally could talk about this all day long because <laughs> I love that sweet boy. and can't wait to meet him one oh. day. Um, but will you talk to us just a little bit about the story of Charlie and his sister? Yes. And tell me some of the decisions that you had to make along that journey.
0: In order to be able to love the way you love today? So, Charlie Charlie was born healthy, and I was so excited because I'd already experienced, you know, with the stillborn and miscarriage, I'd already experienced loss. And so, to, to finally give birth, and, and the only thing that I ever wanted to be growing up was a mom. So, literally, January 9th was the best day of my life hands down, still is, um, looking at his face and kissing him and getting him here and holding him. I mean, I can go back to that moment. I can smell the smells. I can I, – it was – I stayed up all night. Hey? I had him at like 6 or 7 in the evening, and every, all my family came, And then everybody left. Even my husband, Topher, he went back home and slept at home. And uh, so it was just me and him. And I stared and stared and stared. I just, I knew how lucky I was. In fact, the nurse who took care of us while I was there over three days or so, she, at one point, you know, she kept coming in. That's when they would take the baby and give the moms a break. They don't, I've heard they don't do that anymore like you, you're you supposed to hold the baby yeah. the whole time or have the baby in the room the whole time. Well, they used to say, do you want a break and come get the baby? And I said to her finally, you don't need to ask me that again. I, I'm never letting go. And and she said, I've never seen a mom hold their baby the way that you hold him. And I just, he wasn't going to leave. And from the very beginning, Taylor, he never slept night in his crib I know that's against all like health regulations and safety regulations and whatever but I could not put this precious thing down and I mean I I have no regret he didn't even take a nap in his crib I never put him in the five thousand dollar crib we purchased (laughs) with all the perfect pottery barn bedding I mean (laughs) I never even changed the sheets uh because he never slept there the only time I put him down was to shower. And any time I needed my hands, I would just put him in the Bajoran. And I didn't care what didn't get done. I did not care. And it was all about Charlie. And so he was small. He was born three and a half weeks early. And so we weren't really worried. But I started to get a little worried around four months. We got blood work done spent a month in the hospital, find out that he has a very rare metabolic disease called mitochondrial disease, that he's terminal, that he's going to die, and And he did. And August 31st, that same year you know, if January 9th was the best day of my life, August 31st was the worst. It's the worst, and you know, it's the every mother's greatest fear. I mean, every single parent at some point stood over their sleeping child and thought and prayed, even whether they were religious or not, Dear God, don't let anything ever happen to this precious child because you can't imagine your life without him. And it was hell, it was hell. Um, and we saw doctors, we saw specialists, we saw genetic specialists, and we, we were promised that this was some genetic fluke that would never happen again, that we were completely capable of having a healthy baby, and so we got pregnant again shortly after. And in 2004, we had a baby girl in November. Her name was Louisa. And uh, you know, I say January 9th, having Charlie was the best day of my life because there was an innocence about that. There was so much fear. Fear and having Louisa. Mm-hmm. I was so scared that she was going to be sick. And I, so, so there was like a, a, an innocence taken from me. And and I mean, every single day of Louisa's life uh, before we found out she was sick and she did have the same disease as Charlie, uh, I would get, I would strip, I'd stand on the scale, I'd weigh myself, I'd get Louisa. And I'd put myself on the scale with her, and I would just pray like hell every day that the scale would move. And for four months it did, and then it stopped. And, I mean, she died almost to the day of the same disease and you know, equal demise, and it was... At that point, I was in hell. I mean, I just I wanted to die. I did not want to live. I hated my life, Taylor. I hated it. I was... I my faith is a very I mean it's everything to me today but I didn't have that then and the the greatest thing in my life was my marriage you know I loved my husband deeply and uh and I held on tight to him and but I mean I would wake up every day I'd go make coffee I would get my dogs I'd walk to the cemetery and I would just sit there and cry and cry and cry i I had no purpose. I had no life. I I was bitter. I was sad. I didn't want to see friends. I didn't want to go out. I was a recluse. I mean, I didn't call anybody back. A lot of people, when they grieve, they need people around. They want people around. I wanted nobody around. I barely wanted my family and and Topher. I I really wanted Topher there. I was scared to be without him. Um. And and I my dream of being a mother was shattered in the in those moments and I had no hope and I didn't I didn't know what to do and I I went and saw my pastor and I'd grown up r- <coughs> religious but I, like I didn't have these deep 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 roots um, faith or hope or you know I had nothing like I have today. Do
1: you think motherhood was? I mean, you talked about that. Like, that's the dream. That's where you were headed. You were going to get married and have kids. And you were going to be,
0: everything was going to be perfect.
1: Yeah. You were going to be a hell of a good mom.
0: Yep. I was going to have, I mean, in my mind, I was going to have, if I had all boys, that would have been great. I, you know, I just, I I had a dream of like being a boy mom or maybe two or three boys and one girl. And, and, you know, we were going to, we were going to be perfect. And we were going to have this, cute little starter house in Preston Hollow, and eventually we were going to move to you know, Highland Park, and they were going to grow up in Highland Park schools, and we were going to be a perfect family, and I was going to be a perfect mom. And I, at some point, I wasn't going to work, and I'd stay home, and you know, they would play sports, and Louisa would be a cheerleader, and this is how it was going to go.
1: <laughs> Don't you think so many of the people listening have that version? Maybe they're living that version right now, but one of the things that, I think connected our hearts and made you so trustworthy to me so early is that you encountered in your life early that the expectations and dreams and like pictures that you, it's like you don't even know that you have these dreams until they come to life and die right in front of you. Yeah. And they, and it's again and again and again, right? It was all the, the micro moments of dream that, existed in the life and the death of each one of your children mm-hmm. and how that plays in to your marriage and your work life and just the everything.
0: Oh, yeah. when I was young Taylor, I had I had no idea that it would couldn't work out the way that I dream. like I was so naive. I just thought I really thought if this is what I want and I work my ass off for it, then that's what I'm going to get. I never considered that there might be another script. And I, think, I thought I would write my
1: script. <laughs> well, you know, it's really interesting to me as you say that. I think you still hold that mentality in a lot of spaces in your life. Like even your podcast, I believe your life can be happy, healthy and abundant that you do work hard, but you also hold this tension of like working towards a dream that you're holding working intently towards a dream that you're holding loosely. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. So, and I think even as I see you parent, like you're you parent your kids and like what do you want become that person? Work towards that person. How do you hold that tension now? Um being acutely aware that you cannot build your life around the end mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the goal. Mm-hmm but also that you keep waking up with intention and purpose and joy
0: every day? It's a good question because you don't know what's going to come. And I have learned and I trust that I don't know. <laughs> like I, I used to think that I knew like, and that I, can, I could control the outcome. And, and I know that I cannot control the outcome. The only thing that I can do is control the state of my heart, my soul, my mind – in in the day today and you know I wake up every day I have a plan. I mean I pray over my calendar. I pray over the people I'm going to meet with that day. I pray I live a very intentional life. I do. I I visualize in the morning's day if I'm gonna go pick up Georgie and it's just going to be him and I in the car. I visualize what I want George to feel when he gets out of that car. I really I visualized you today. You know, when I leave tailored tonight and I'm laying my head on the pillow, what do I hope that we experience together? What and and so my days are filled with intention. 70% of the time those things happen, you know? And the other 30% is the unpredictable, the unforeseen, the accident, the the unexpected. And And that those things that are completely out of my control, whatever it is, whether I mean, whatever it is, good or bad, yeah, good or bad. (laughs) You could make up a thousand different scenarios. And sometimes I do a really good job, you know, in the unpredictable and unforeseen. And sometimes I do a really terrible job. But I do my prayer every single morning is God help me see what I can't see. Help me do what you need me to do. Help me hear what I am not listening to. And help me be the person you need me to be today. How did you, this is a big question.
1: How did you get to a space where you can pray that prayer? And um, what listeners don't know is that you pray that prayer as honestly and real, I think, in in, in this moment that you're sharing it, that you really do go into it with a very open hand of like, okay, this is, this is my request today. Mm -hmm. Growing up with religious abuse Mm -hmm. to the religious freedom that you walk in today. Can you tell me some of the critical moments in your life or critical decisions that you think have helped you walk out of that shame Mm -hmm. into
0: this freedom? Well, when I was young, a, a big word in the mormon religion is worthy. <laughs> and you had to be worthy. You had to be worthy to go to church, you had to be worthy to take the sacrament. You had to be which is in their religion is communion. You had to be worthy. So, you know, on Friday night if I had a beer or a boy touched my boob, I wasn't worthy anymore. And so while everybody else went to go take communion, I sat in the pew. Um, you had That's kind of feel great. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, not sure you want to know
1: what I did, or you just being raised
0: Catholic. I can very much relate to this.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, I think I would still be kidding, <laughs> which may speak to some of my insecurities about what I think other people think of me. Mattering.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. So that that's a big word in in the Mormon religion. Worthy, you know, you have to be worthy to go to their temple. You, in fact, you have to be interviewed and you get a card that lets you in the temple that says you're worthy. Mm -hmm. And so I was never effing worthy. (laughs) You know, I just, I was never worthy. I was, I was human and I made mistakes all the time. And so growing up, I just always felt unworthy. And, and, by those standards i was you know and yet i could never reconcile taylor like i would read the bible and i would read the words and read and i was like this dude who's talking is not asking if you're worthy he's actually going to go get those people who aren't worthy he's going to seek he's going to sit with the woman at the well he's going to he's going to pick up the woman who's being thrown rocks at the adulterer and, and pick her up and, and tell everybody like, Hey, if, if it's cool, if you want to throw rocks, but if you haven't sinned that, that's who, that's who can throw, keep throwing. And the, what did everybody do? They put the rock down because none of us are worthy. He, he leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one that's lost. He welcomes the son home, the prodigal son who, who went off and, you know, slept with, Prostitutes and and laundered all his money. I mean, so this is Jesus, and I was always perplexed growing up, and so that was my tension. Like, wait, you keep telling me I'm not worthy, but Jesus would have. I think Jesus would have hung out with me because <laughs> I'm cool. <laughs> I think Jesus hung out with the unworthy people, you know. And
1: who wants to hang out with the worthy ones? <laughs>
0: Why do you think hey, we hang on. out with you, Ken? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I when when Topher and I got married, I had not been to church in years, but I knew that now it was time that I had lived without an active faith long enough and it was time for me. Because let's face it, we all get married and we're like, we need something yeah. else. We need something else to help out with this. Yes, <laughs> it's so true.
1: You need something else. I don't, but you do, yeah. so we'll go together. So I think we need to go find Jesus yes. for you. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. Um, and so we church shopped and I just, I had no idea what I was looking for. I just wanted to go somewhere that sounded good and felt good. And I remember sitting in the pew listening to this pastor named Mark Craig for the first time. And it was like, I mean, I remember pointing underneath the pew so he couldn't see me, but I said, leaned over and said to Topher, this is the guy, this is the guy that, that knows the Jesus that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And so we just started going to that church and, That was, and so that was the start. That was the start. But if I'm honest, before I lost my kids, Tay, I would go to, Topher and I would go to church if it was sunny and I wasn't hungover and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't raining. We found a parking place. Like if all the stars aligned, then we would go to church. And And that was the extent of my faith going to church. And whenever we left, I cannot tell you, How amazing I thought I
1: was. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very worthy today, actually. (laughs) Aren't we amazing that we went to church today? We should probably go drink at brunch and celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, isn't that so bred into our culture, though? I mean, I, I think Dave and I have spent the last year and a half not going to church due to just life circumstances and having two kids 11 months apart and it being flu season and being exhausted and just wanting to make waffles at our house sometimes yeah. and look yeah. into one another's eyes. But I, it is one of the greatest gifts that has ever happened to me is me learning to set with the stillness on a Sunday and get real with what it is, why, what the pressure is that I feel mm-hmm. and letting that become something that has turned into desire mm. um, and not a guilty desire, but a real like... Authentic. Yeah. A space to know, you know what, today our kids, our family needs a quiet, jammy morning. Heck yeah. And church is gonna look like this today. Yeah. And we're gonna be in this moment with the Lord today. Or also days that it's like you're gonna be screaming, we're probably gonna get in a little bit of a fight with the kids <laughs> on the way, and we're still gonna go and it's all gonna be okay. Yeah. Um, but learning to really set with that oh yeah, has been a beautiful gift that I've learned in the last two years.
0: I think that people who grow up with a lot of religious shame uh, ha, like I 100% agree with you but I, it took me a long time to get there. Ever since I've been divorced, I've had a very difficult time uh going to church because I go to church alone. <laughs> And because my kids go to youth group, you know, and they don't want to go to big church. They just don't. They, they love, I mean, they go to, they're in it to win it. They love the Lord and they go to youth group and then they go to small group and then they all go to lunch together. You don't
1: make them go to church with you on Sunday. So other people think that you're nailing it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kudos, kudos to you, mom. (laughs) Letting them own Uh, their own faith. Oh, and they love going to church. They love love going to church. You know what I do, Tay? I drop them off. And I had to get a lot of peace and, and let it go, let my shame around that go. And and the fear of not being seen at church and not going to church. I, w- I listen to sermons all the time. I listen to podcasts. I read my Bible every day. I I don't do anything without Jesus. I don't. And I'm not perfect. I do I don't do all of these things because I have it all together. I'm doing it, it because I understand how much I need him. Mm-hmm. And that's my faith. You know, my faith is not church. It's not my faith. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what that's what I have been, that's what I was searching for. Uh, you know, for years, r- r- my faith was a checked box. Mm-hmm. We went to church, wasn't that? That was so good. <laughs> Um, so I, yeah, I, I, that so resonates with me and, and I mean, you, you have one of the most beautiful faiths and I mean, you want to talk about authentic and real and uh, you've got it in spades, but I just, I, I love that both of us have just let that go <laughs> because I don't think that Jesus cares whether or not we go to church. I have said it a thousand times. I know a lot of assholes who sit in pews. I do. So do you. So does everybody else. And I'm not judging them. Sometimes I'm that asshole sitting in the pew. That's not what it's about. That's not what our Savior wants from his children. His, Our God wants to be in a relationship with us. And whether we see that on a bike going around White Rock Lake or Austin, you know, the city... You're from Austin the view, city lake I mean give me that give me that you can come place. Walk, you can walk that lake oh, anytime you want so there's Jesus all over that trail <laughs> <laughs> you know sunrises, sunsets, music, time with my kids, Georgie's hugs, Carter's smile, the way that Annarinn takes care of all of us I mean Jesus is everywhere, everywhere mm-hmm. you don't you don't have to go to church to. To see him
1: we got off on a really good tangent there about church but i agree with you fully <laughs> i also agree this is a journey i'm on right now um is like loving jesus fully but learning how to love the church because i've been really hurt by it mm-hmm. and so stepping back into that's probably the hardest space for me to practice out all the things that i know to be true and like you said to sitting under the teaching of a pastor where you're like that's what I have experienced. That's what I know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when you've had a lot of people tell you who God is and then that doesn't resonate with you, you're like, wait, hold on. He can't be this and what he says to be true here. He can't, he can't be, I can't have to be worthy. And then also he says that he came for those who are not worthy. Like how does that mesh? Um, that's been, that's a faith journey that I'm on right now. In terms of saying like, okay, there's also a lesson in this for me Mm -hmm. about my faith, my growth, my healing, and my letting God be who he says he is Mm -hmm. in my journey, which is what has me, I think, back through the doors of a church right now, um, exploring what that that growth path looks like for me personally.
0: Do you have a church that you love? We
1: are figuring that out right now. Yeah. Um, It's funny because I feel like I'm getting real comfortable saying we don't have a church home, which is the first time ever that I've been in those shoes. But we've been trying churches for about the last six months, I guess. And I'm setting under a pastor that has been really, really, really safe. I guess is the best word I can use. Um, so that's been that's good. Been good, Ross Lester. Um, okay, pulling it back in. We got a really good tangent there, but. <laughs> And you said it in the middle of this. You have a lot of different types of grief in your story. Um, your kiddos are adopted from Ghana. Mm-hmm. They came home in what year? 2010. Okay. And we're not going to get into that. Anna Brynn, Carter, Georgie. I'm getting mom back on for a whole story. <laughs> in fact, I want all of us together we should, for that story. We'll come, we'll
0: come down to yes, uh-huh. for Yes. I want that.
1: That's <laughs> yes. But you also um, should listen to Toba's episode with her kids her very first episode of the remedy podcast is with her three amazing kids and it is phenomenal and you'll fall in love with them just as much as I have um in her book you do an incredible job sharing about the journey of bringing your kiddos home and I want to say right there um part of your and my connection is that I met you in Colorado at something called Camp Well um, and love campwell love campwell love me some campwell <laughs> and you said something c- closing out you said two things one um, you said never lose your faith because your faith is the thing that can get you through and I've held on to that a lot you can let go of a lot of things in your life but if you let go of that you you will be lost in a way that you won't you won't find a way back. And for some of my listeners, they don't have faith. And so I'm exploring that with people and what that means. What does that look like? What does your faith look like? Um, And we've just talked a little bit about our faith journeys being really different and similar at the same time. So we're all on that path. But the second thing you said was never let go of a dream that God's given you because somewhere someone is waiting for you. And that was the moment that was the arrow that pierced my soul to let me know that the adoption dream that God had placed on my heart as a little bitty girl um, was not so much about me, and that there was another side to that story. And it was a little bit over a year later that our, our sweet baby girl Emerson Hope came home through adoption. Precious, that you are a part precious of. girl. Oh, she's, love that she edible nugget. <laughs> but you're forever a part of our family story because you were obedient in that way to speak those words, and you shared that day that you had like felt a tension about what you were going to talk about and came down and talked about something else. And yes,
0: I remember that. So then I had, I totally had another, I had a completely different message planned. And the night before uh, I was in my room and the Lord was like, there's another message. And I was like, no, no, the one I have is actually really good. (laughs) That's, that's where you and I are real good. We're real good at
1: arguing with, what we call the holy spirit (laughs) i'm like i'm not sure that's a great idea
0: come on (laughs) you already gave me you already gave me some great words mm -mm. yeah but i felt strongly i felt very strongly when i was giving that message that that was the message it was there was no doubt
1: it was and it brought our little baby girl so thank you
0: and then you had cute london right after yeah
1: 11 months apart (laughs) Help me with all the things.
0: I thought they were closer for some reason. I thought they were six, seven months, but now 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 that I now that you
1: say that it just looks like that when you watch anything about my life like I'm just falling apart. It's just
0: a lot of chaos, which I love. We're very, I'm very comfortable with chaos all the time.
1: Um, (laughs) one of the other things, and you just touched on this, you have walked through divorce Mm -hmm. and um, your husband Topher, who was your high school sweetheart, and The man that you share your four pregnancies, three babies that, you know, you got to hold and walked through grief with, adopted your three babies that are home with you now, Um, your marriage ended. Mm -hmm. And as I look at your story and the types of grief that you have walked through and we all walk through different types of grief, Mm -hmm. that's a completely different type of grief than burying a child. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about this process of grief and this process of letting go and this ideal world that we talked about earlier, right, this storybook that you had, it didn't turn out in a lot of ways. But it was like you could have kept re- repositioning, right? Now now you have three babies at home, and now this happy family and this school mm-hmm. district and all these dreams are going to come to life in the way you thought. Um, and then your marriage ended. Will you talk to me a little bit about the lessons of grief that you learned
0: there? Sure. So divorce grief for me, I, I I always, I was very scared to lose Topher because especially right after the loss, because he was my only connection, Mm -hmm. physical connection to my children. And I had loved Topher for a long time, you know. I mean, our first kiss was when we were fifteen, and uh, when I stood at the altar and I made my vows, I meant them. And and so for me, the the deceit that I experienced in my marriage and. It was very it was a different kind of grief and it was a very painful grief. Charlie and Luis were so sad. Sad, 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 debilitating. I had no choice Mm -hmm. in that. My children were sick and they died. And there wasn't a damn thing I could do. I took them all over the United States. I flew them to doctors everywhere to try to find I sprinkled, you know. Uh, water, holy water from Israel, and you know, rubbed sand on them from a, a well in Spain that was supposed to have a healing power. I mean, I did anything and crazy stuff. I had healers come pray over them because I, I, I wanted them to. There was nothing I could do. So for me, the fact that my marriage ended, it made me mad, and it was it was painful. Because in my mind, there, uh, we were in control. We were in control of this pain. Like, we caused this. You know, I'm, uh, and I was like, how could that happen? How could that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, like, we've been through enough that was out of our control, and now our relationship is our control, and somehow we've, we've missed the mark. Um, I did not expect to get divorced. I did not want to get divorced. Um, and you know, I just, I learned some things about my marriage that I didn't know. And I felt like I had no choice and I was devastated. I was, I was, it was tragic. It was traumatic. I mean, the pain that I went through, thank God for therapy, but I mean, the, the, the deceit that I experienced and the trauma that I went through and the things that I learned about my marriage and and my life that i didn't know uh, it, you know my therapist she told me like that this this kind of information creates trauma that is equal to someone who has gone to war mm-hmm. that's that's how traumatic uh it can be and so with Charlie and Lou I was sad with divorce it was a different kind of sad and pain
1: I mean I think that's why I'm asking you about this is because one of the most inspirational things to me about you is that you do not let things harbor bitterness in you. And when I think about maybe this is just cuz I'm just selfish but I think about walking through some of the things that you walk through and some of the very first things that come to my mind is how angry and bitter I would be. And I've talked to you, I know you're angry, but the difference is that you have not let your anger become bitterness and you have not let it dictate your life. Mm-mm you have forgiven and and I will say this because I think it's important and forever is listening who is walking through the hell of whatever it is whether it's divorce or loss of a child or loss of a career I mean for all of us right different grieving processes that we walk through shape us mm-hmm. traumas shape us and those are different for everyone I love the word shape
0: it's different than defined.
1: yes but it's a choice, right? It it's a, a, choice. a micro choice in that moment where it's going to be the thing that that defines your life, yeah, and is part of the trajectory of everything. Or it's going to it's going to it's going to turn you in a way or mold you in a way yeah. that makes you ready for the next chapter, yeah. even as unexpected as that next chapter is. And I will say something, Tova, that is profoundly profoundly impacted me is that knowing some of the details that you've walked through, I have never heard you utter a resentful, condescending, disrespectful word about your ex-husband.
0: That's really nice.
1: And I know that you've had those days, and I've actually gotten to set with conversations with you where you've been upset. Mm -hmm.
0: But you have
1: consciously chosen to look at the character of who you believe he can be and is Mm -hmm. and the role he is in your life and your kids' lives and the beautiful parts that have been played in that. Mm -hmm. And you stay focused on those Mm -hmm. and you somehow have this willingness to let the tension of those other spaces go, Mm -hmm. even though they're there,
0: you make a choice. Yes, they have been there. They're not there anymore. I will say that they have been there. I mean, there were a lot of f bombs mm. you know there were there was a lot of bad days i was there was a lot of anger there was a lot of hurt but i it was a choice like okay am I just gonna spend the rest of my life hating him am I gonna spend the rest of my life hating my children's father are we am am i gonna I, like i it was and I saw what those those moments of anger and bitterness because I had them and I hurled, I hurled a few things straight at him. But I didn't like who I was Amen. in those moments. It wasn't hurting; I was hurting me yeah. more than anyone. And it was, it was affecting my, my ability to show up the way that I wanted to in my life. I didn't want to be a bitter person. I didn't. But let me tell you where it still affects me, and that it's still hard for me is trust. You know, I have a very, and that's hard for me. Because I want to trust people. I have a very difficult time trusting men. I have a very difficult time with other women. I have... I mean, that's just my truth. It is... It can be very painful for me. And it's a huge trigger. And, I mean, the poor person on the other side of me who kind of has to put up with that, like, those fears and that insecurity and that trauma that still exists... The anger and the bitterness is totally gone. Topher and I, we get along great. I so appreciate him. I, uh, I think, you know, I, I know we are in a great space. You know, I, I like the girl he's dating. You know, I, I, us getting along is is only good for our children, and it's only good for each other. I see
1: making those choices in so many spaces. I'm, you know, I'm the product of a divorced family, um, and I'm so grateful for the ways that my parents let go of bitterness yeah. in order to allow love to grow, and I think that you do that so well. And I guess the reason that I wanted to even contrast those types of grief is because every single part of your story, and even as, as I know you as a friend now and I see you walking towards that trauma, Right, willingly willing yourself to grow again, mm-hmm. um as hard, as scary, as painful, as unknown as it is. Mm-hmm. I don't see you shying away from. I see you engaging. I see you being like, "Oh, that's uncomfortable. Not sure I'm quite ready for that. Yeah, but I see you getting back up again and choosing to look into the next chapter, yeah, and to risk
0: that it may have more trauma in in it. It is risky. And let me tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm dating a great guy right now and there are, there's sometimes Tay, and this is the first time I've ever said this out loud, but uh, crazy Tova shows up, you know, and there have been times where I'm like, I got to break up. I got to, I got to get out and, and I I feel like I got to get out because it's too risky. What if I get hurt? What if, what if, what if, and then it's like. So, what you're just gonna sit in your room and and play small because you could it it might hurt one day, and you know, I just don't wanna live like that. I just don't want to live like that, and I believe that if I am walking with the Lord, I really believe this that if I'm walking with the lord it it doesn't mean it's gonna be pain free it doesn't mean it's gonna be perfect, but I really Believe that the Lord is, is preparing a a great man, or has prepared a great man for me, and and I I there have been times. I mean, there have been I've been on a lot of dates with great people, great great people, who just that's not that's not my great, you know, that's not my great, but I know my great um, is there. And and I do believe I could trust again. I do believe all the things that are so scary. I believe that the right person and walking with the Lord, those things can those <laughs> things can be healed. Those things can be healed.
1: I see uh, I see them being healed. But
0: it's scary. It's scary. Thank it's you risky. for being honest
1: about that because I think, you know, you talked about the days that you didn't want to live anymore. Yeah.
0: Those were real. Yeah. And the fear of like... And there were times I didn't ever want to have children again. People would say to me after I lost my kids, why don't you just adopt? And I would get so... You didn't punch them in the face. Yeah. I thought about it. I'd get so mad. And I never thought that I could adopt. I never wanted to have one more child. Why? Because I was scared they'd get a hangnail or what if they got cancer or what if they died in a car accident? Like my heart could not take a hangnail. You know, I, I just, I couldn't do it and then I could do it. And I, now I'm totally doing it. And you know, could something happen? Yeah. Something really bad could happen to one of my three kids, but the love that we have shared and the, Things that we have experienced together is worth, and so that's what I believe. I believe that, that I believe that the the potential for love and the gift of love is greater than any fear. Perfect love casts out fear. It's biblical. That fear is is greater. I mean, love is greater than fear if, if we let it. If we let it,
1: I just had a very big deja vu moment. Watching you say that.
0: I already just, said that?
1: No, just now. You, oh. I just know that it was meant to be said. Oh. oh. And I think it's a perfect way to end this conversation. Um, <laughs> because, well, I've cried a lot in this interview. That's great, isn't
0: it? <laughs> well, now we can see my <clears throat> uh, my eyes welling up, and you just, your voice is cracking. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> You... encourage me to lean into hard spaces. You inspire me to love bigger. You coax me into walking towards scary, hard places that have hurt me before. And I just hope for anybody listening that wherever they are on their story and their journey in their life, that hearing the courage, the faith, even if you're somebody who doesn't have a faith, and maybe it's just exploring faith that feels overwhelmingly scary, that this conversation would be just a little bit of courage. You could borrow Toba's courage, (laughs) a little shout out there, um, Hmm. to step towards whatever that thing. Maybe it's forgiving an ex. Maybe it is forgiving your parents. Maybe it's risking trying for that baby one more time. Maybe it's opening the door to that thing that really makes you terrified. Maybe it's just opening the door to going into a counseling session to start talking about some of those things. Forgiving. Forgiving. That mm-hmm. this conversation would be a little bit of courage that you need to step towards that. Toba, thank you for being all of those things to me in my real yeah. life. Thank you for showing up okay. today, um, real it's and a raw. Blast.
0: Thank you. Thank Thank you for
1: having me. I love you, Tay. You're a gift. Um, I want to tell our listeners a little bit more where they can hear more of your story. Um, If you just search Tova in podcasts in general, you will see lots of conversations that she has where she has shared quite a bit more in detail about her story. You can also go to TovaSito.com. And you can order her book there, which I highly, highly, highly recommend. I have had, I don't know, 12 copies of yours. They just fly. <laughs> I need to get more before I leave. Um, yeah, I have them for you. <laughs> she can come speak at your events. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now.
0: So I am, I am i do speaking. Um, I do counseling. I uh, have a podcast called The Remedy with Tobacito. It's really good. Uh, and, um, and... That's about it. I've oh and I do uh, weddings. I can I can officiate weddings, which is one of my favorite things to do. I
1: think do. you need to come officiate mine and Dave's like he promised me a like a redo of our vows. Oh a second wedding. Yeah, Let's be real. That's what I was I didn't really care about the renewal when I asked about it. I just wanted a second wedding and a dance party.
0: <laughs> At this point I care a lot more about
1: the renewal, but I think we need to get that on the books. Oh
0: my gosh. I would and then we'll have a dance party. Yeah, we'll have one <laughs> hell of a dance party. Tova, thank you. You're um welcome, this Annie.
1: I want to dedicate this episode to your kiddos. Thank you. Um all of them, but thank specifically you. to Anna Pryn and George and Carter. Um the way you guys light your mama's world is something oh, that brings me God, such really joy. You you come to life when you talk about your kids you. and the way you parent your kids and the way your kids Who they're becoming inspires me as a mom. So thank you. This show's for you guys.
0: (laughs) Oh, thanks, Dave.